Our thanks to Electroflex, a global leader in electrical conduit for over 60 years, makers of Liquitite Flexible Conduit, electrically connecting our world. Hello and welcome to the Sportscaster and Her Son, where sports bridges the gap between generations, from baby boomers to Generation Y and just about everyone in between. I'm your host, Peggy Kaczynski, 12-time Emmy Award-winning sportscaster, recipient of the Ring Lardner Award, Edward R. Murrow Award, Peter Lisagor Award, and honors from the Associated Press. And I'm the sportscaster's son. My name is Jason Kanander. I'm a budding journalist in my own right. You can find my um, articles at various websites, including Minor League Ball, Busting Brackets, and Windy City. And I'm very excited to be doing this podcast with you, Mom. And you are in high school. I am not. San Ignatius College Prep. I'm a junior. Um, yeah, 16 All right. years old. There is 40 years between us. So if you are counting, that's three generations. Technically, I am what is called a baby boomer. But I'm on the cusp of that. So I don't like being called a baby boomer because most baby boomers are uh, in their like 70s. I feel more like I'm a Gen Xer, but I know you don't look at me like I'm a Gen Xer, do no. you? Yeah, no. no, you don't, do you? Do you even know what generation you are, Jason? I believe I'm a millennial. I don't think you are a millennial. Uh, I, I don't think so. I, I think, think you're, I am. I, Jenner, okay. This is according to, um, where did we get this? Kasasa had an article out. Generation, you're laughing at me. Generation Y. Generation Y are millennials born between 1980 and 1994. So you would have to be uh, like 24 years old and you're not. So you wish you were a millennial. You are what's called Generation Z. I know. It's called the, the I generation, as in iPad, iPhone, all those iPods. I don't think that's why it's called that. What do you mean? The I, oh, you think it's I generation because me, me, me? <laughs> I could actually say that. I would think that, you know, maybe yours is the I generation, me, me, me. Why do you think it's why? You don't, have you ever heard of that, Generation no. Y? Nope. You've never heard of the names for generations? No. This is exactly why we're doing the show. This is exactly why, because I think that what I know is what everybody knows. And you constantly enlighten me, let's put it that way, as okay. to what I don't know. Fair? Yeah, I think that's fair. All right. All right. Well, we don't always get along. We don't always agree. We both, though, do love sports, right? Right. And that's what binds us together. And with this podcast, we will try to cross over generations to discuss sports from yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and a whole lot more. And in this first episode, we will talk role models. I've told the story many times before who my broadcasting role model is in sports. So I was in college at Southern Illinois in Carbondale, walked in the uh, apartment of my brother, Tim. And all these guys were sitting in the, the living room, glued to the TV. Didn't even turn around. Didn't even know that I walked in the room. I said, what are you guys watching? They're like, ESPN. I said, ESPN, what's that? Oh, it's this new cable station. It's all sports all the time. And I glanced over at the TV, and there was a woman, Gail Gardner, hosting SportsCenter. And that was like my aha moment. I thought, I didn't know that women could do this. So that was when I decided I was going into sportscasting. Jason, now you, I thought for sure the reason you wanted to go into sportscasting was because of me. But that's not it, is it? No, no. 
Um, I'd say the main reason why I want to go into sports casting is actually Hawk Harrelson. Um, grew up a big White Sox fan. I've watched so many games, and obviously he called the vast majority of the games that I watched, and I really got to um, experience him and really enjoy his broadcasting, and that's for sure why he would be my biggest role model. Well, I think I think we should call him. I think we should bring him in. Uh, all right. Hawk, how are you this morning? Hey, how you doing? It is great to hear from you. So Jason looks up to you as his role model. Jason, say hello to Hawk Harrelson. Good morning, Hawk. Good morning, Jason. Thanks again for being on this morning, Hawk. Um, my first question would be, who is your biggest role model growing up? My mama. I knew you were going to say that. I knew it. Tell us why. She was my role model, I'll tell you what. She was my sweetheart. We, uh, she was divorced when we were young, when I was young. And she was a single parent, raised me all those years. And, uh, and just uh, she came to see all my games. You know, in Savannah, we were about 230 miles from Atlanta. And they didn't have freeways back in those days. They had two-lane roads. And she'd get off early from work if we were playing up there in the state tournament. And she'd drive up and... Uh, I uh, just, you know, she loved her boy and her boy loved her. I love that. Was there anyone when you were in school, uh, what were you like when you were in school? Is it right that you went to military school? Yeah, for three years. That was my uh, sophomore, junior, and senior years. I went to Benedictine Military Academy there in Savannah. And it, it, was, uh, it was really good because we couldn't afford to do it, but one of the alumni, they had three high schools there in Savannah. And, all three were trying to get me to come there to play sports for them. And so the one of the alumni from Benedictine, he owned a gas company there. And he gave me this job on the weekends of coming out and painting these uh, these uh, gas cylinders with aluminum paint. And I actually, going to high school, was making more money uh, than my mom. She was making 56 bucks a week. And, you know, I'd play in a basketball game, score 30, 40 points, and here come the alumni after the game. Here's a five, here's a 10, here's a five, there's a five, there's a 10, sometimes maybe even a 20, according to who we were playing. And, uh, of course, we all put, the, uh, she and I put all her money in a kitty. But Mr. Bubba Hope was the guy, and he uh, he paid the tuition, which was very expensive, uniforms, which were very expensive, books, which were very expensive, and then put, he also put a guest uh Yes, heater in our house, so we wouldn't have to pay anything for heat. Wow. That is something. All right, Hawk. So my mom was telling me earlier this morning that you were going to play football at the University of Georgia. Is that true? And can you kind of tell us about that a little bit? Well, actually, baseball was my worst sport. And uh, I wanted to play. Yeah. I, I was an All-American basketball player, and I wanted to play basketball. That was my favorite sport. And then finally, I signed a scholarship. Uh, to go to the University of Georgia as, as a quarterback. And uh, Wally wow. Butts was a coach, and he came down and talked my mama into it because Notre Dame wanted me to come there. And every school in the country wanted me to come, with the exception of one, and that was Kentucky. So at that time, they were the premier basketball college in the, in the, in the country. And they sent a, a guy, I think his name was Joe B. Hall, who was Adolph Rupp's assistant at the time, to scout me. And I had a great game. And, uh, I heard him after the game around the corner. He was talking to our coach. He said, he's a coach. He said, that kid's a hell of a player. He said, but I think he's a little too small for us at Kentucky. And it just broke my heart. But anyway, back in those days, Peggy and Jason, 
there was no money in basketball. There was no money in football. And then I got a big bonus this time to play baseball. So that took care of that. Wow. Yeah. You know, I do some college basketball writing. I'm big into college basketball. And obviously, you said Kentucky was premier basketball school back then. They still are one of the premier schools now. So the NCAA tournament coming up in a couple of weeks. What would be your Final Four prediction? <laughs> oh, I, I'm not a good predictor in basketball or football. The only thing I'm decent at in predicting is, is uh, who's going to win a pennant in baseball, you know, in all four divisions. And uh been pretty accurate over the years in that. But uh, I don't know. I, I I never, ever, in basketball, I never, ever pull against Kentucky because <laughs> of, you know, that's where I wanted to go. And as I said, at that time, it was number one in the country with Adolph Rupp. But there's so many, you know, the, the culture of sports has changed so much. I mean, it really has. You know, basketball players today are better than when I, in my, when I was going to high school and college. Basketball, uh, football players today are better. Baseball players today are better. Everything is better today from an athletic standpoint and talent standpoint than it was, you know, 60 years ago. So it's, uh, it's been interesting for me to have been in baseball almost 60 years now and see the evolution, the change in the culture of the game because it's an entirely different game now than it was when I first started playing in the major leagues in 1963. Wow. Well, you know what's interesting about that is that you were you played so many different sports, and now we're seeing – Guys in baseball who look like they're football players, you know. Uh, oh yeah, they're bigger, stronger, Peggy. Bigger, right? stronger, faster. Yeah, I mean, it's just uh, it's been wonderful to watch this young talent. As I said, I was, you know, our superstars in baseball uh, would have been superstars today, and they would be superstars a hundred years from now. That's a, you know your Ted Williams, your Stan Musial, your Willie Mays, your Sandy Koufax, and Don Drysdale. Those guys would have been superstars stars in any time. But my category. I was just a little better than average Major League Baseball player. And a little better than average Major League Baseball player today, talent-wise, are so much better than we were. It's not even funny. Mm. And that's why I, I enjoy watching. I love baseball today more than I ever have because I've been privileged and honored to have been in this game so long. And come, you know, come January 1st of, uh, of 2020, that'll put me in a club they can only find four of the guys in. There might be more, but they can't find them. And that's uh, Ben Scully, uh, Tommy Lasorda, Don Zimmer, and Dave Garcia. And that club being one of being in professional baseball all a part of eight decades. Wow. 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 That is really something. Did you have a role model in baseball? You know, when I was – yes, I did. Uh Al Kaline was, was one of my role models, and I learned a lot about how to compete. That's the whole secret in, in playing major league sports is being a competitor and knowing how to compete and not letting your temper get the best of you, letting it work for you, not against you. I also love Mickey Mantle. I was Mickey and I you played a lot of golf together, and we uh, we were got to be really close buddies. And I think that my roommate when I was at Washington for a brief period was a guy named Frank Howard, who was the the giant, so to speak. He was six eight. 303 pounds with a 37-inch waist, and we roomed together. He's one of the nicest human beings I've ever seen, and I looked up to him a lot, and I listened to a lot of what he had to say. But, uh, you know, we've had so many great guys, and the camaraderie, so to speak, today in baseball is different than it was when I played. 
See, when I played, you couldn't fraternize before a ball game. <laughs> they had an umpire that would come there and sit there, and if they caught you talking to one of the uh, opposition players, they'd find you 25 bucks, which back in those days was a significant amount uh, because the minimum salary was $6,000. And they would find you 25 and then the next time it would be 50 So we had a different kind. But after the game was over, if we went to the same restaurant or the same bar and had a couple of beers, we all sat together and talked and told some lies. <laughs> I love it. Were you were you good when you first started uh, broadcasting? Well, I was lucky there, too. I started in 1975 with the Red Sox. And Dick Stockton was my partner. And that was his first year of broadcasting Major League Baseball. And uh, Kurt Gowdy and Howard Cosell and also a guy named Gene Kirby. Gene Kirby was a guy who used to do uh, – Saturday fall staff football games with, uh, I mean, baseball games with Pee Wee Reese and uh, Dizzy Dean. So I'd been broadcasting for about a month or two, and Kurt Gowdy calls me up and he says, Hawk, come to Boston. I want to talk to you. I said, fine. So a week and a half, two weeks later, he comes and we talk up in the press room. And he said, look, I've been watching you. And he said, you got a chance to be a hell of an announcer but I'm going to tell you the best piece of advice you'll ever get. And I said, what's that, Kurt? He said, don't try to please everybody because you can't. Now, Cosell called me up, I don't know, a week and a half, two weeks after that. And he said, I'm coming to Boston. I want to talk to you. And I said, all right, coach. So he comes in. We're talking up in the press room. He said, I've been watching you, kid. He said, look, you got a chance. You got a chance to be good. He said, but I'm going to give you the best piece of advice you'll ever have. I said, what's that, Howard? He goes, don't try to please everybody because you can't. Mm. It was all weird. It was eerie because you're two of the great announcers of that time. And they both said exactly the same thing. And that's been the one premise that I've always announced by. I don't try to please everybody. And you cannot please everybody working in a two-team city like Chicago. Uh, You're going to have a lot of bad publicity. You're going to have a lot of bad phone calls in the talk shows. And you're going to have cub writers ripping Sox people, and you're going to have Sox writers ripping Cub people. <laughs> so it's impossible in a two-team city. And uh, that's what I get a lot of people who write me letters, a lot of kids in college, aspiring announcers. And, and if it's well-written and well-composed, then I'll either call them or I'll invite them to the ballpark. And when we get there, I tell them exactly what Kurt Gowdy and Howard Cosell told me. Be yourself. Just be yourself. And don't try to please everybody because you can't. And both Kurt and Howard told me, those guys that try to please everybody, they don't last long. Mm. So those are my idols, so to speak. And, you know, it's like Gail Gardner with you. I remember Gail. She was terrific. I remember watching her a lot. And she was, you know, she was a frontiersman, so to speak. She was leading the pack for the female uh, reporters. And look where they look where they are now. We've got some of the best reporters in sports that are female. Mm. And, you know, you, could, you couldn't say that 15, 20 years ago. But you can today. Right. Um, Obviously, you know, you definitely called, I mean, you called the White Sox for so long. And I think I started watching the White Sox in 2012 and tried to watch every single game. So I have some of my personal favorite moments that you called. What would be your favorite moment calling the White Sox? Well, I didn't call the 05 World Series because networks uh, did that. They called the playoffs in in the World Series. My and. In all my years with the White Sox, my favorite moment was, I've had so many, but my favorite one was when Mark Burley pitched that perfect game. 
And it was it was not so much a perfect game because I've called other perfect games. And it was who threw it. You know, if the guy's yeah. a jerk or whatever it may be, after the game and he pitches a perfect game or no there, you go up and pat him over behind and say, nice going, kid. But with Burley, it's different. Mark Burley is a special person. And when you get to know Mark, he becomes he became like a, a second son to Alice and I. Mm. We loved it. And he was the most loved teammate. He was like Catfish Hunter was my most favorite uh, teammate of all time. And Catfish, of course, is in the Hall of Fame. And I think Mark's got a, a real good shot at getting there down the road. But when he pitched that perfect game, you know, we have a home down in Granger, Indiana, which is almost 100 miles exactly from my garage to my parking spot there at the ballpark. And when he pitched it, I started crying. Well, Lexi got the ground ball over to Paulie, who made a terrific scoop. Yeah. And, of course, we had Dwayne Wise, who made the catch, so yep. to speak, greatest catch I've yep. ever seen, under the circumstances, to preserve that perfect game. Yeah. And uh, I cried. had tears in my eyes. And then on the way home, driving home, I'll never forget it. In fact, I'm starting to choke up a little bit about it right now. I cried almost the whole way home because I was so happy for Mark and his That's family. Awesome. That's awesome. And here's a guy that if he hit you right, right between the eyes with his fastball, it wouldn't hurt. You wouldn't even have to take any aspirin. And it was the same way with Catfish Hunter. Catfish didn't have anywhere near yeah. Hall of Fame stuff. But he had competitiveness. He had, he had the cojones. He had the heart. And he had the mind to go ahead. The only thing he did was beat you. And, of course, the only thing Burley did, he, that's all he did was beat you. I love, Hawk, that you said that you had tears in your eyes when it happened because – when that can come through, that's what makes people feel that same thing. And and for me, as a mom with Jason, I mean, he would come running down the stairs after hearing your call, and he'd be, like, yelling and screaming. So, I mean, yeah. Jason, I love that you said that you remember some of your favorite yeah. hawk calls. Like what? And, and, I mean, 2009, that was – I think I was seven years old, so it was a little before my time watching the White Sox. But 2012 – was so special for me because I was in fourth grade. Um, that's their last time with a winning season since then. Ironically enough, it's my first season watching them. They're, I can't quite pinpoint one call, but one thing that does come to my mind was late in the season, I think it was September, White Sox were kind of slipping behind the Tigers in the race. And I didn't quite understand it because it was my first year in baseball, but all I knew was that the games were very important. And I think it was a game against the Cleveland Indians I had practice for something after school. I was so exhausted, and the Sox fell behind. And then in the eighth inning, Adam Dunn came up and hit a go-ahead two-run homer with two with two outs. And I just remember it was something about your call, like the emotion in it and like how, how grand the moment was. That That's kind of when I fell in love with the White Sox right there and with kind of aspiring to be a sports broadcaster. Well, you know, as I said, I've had so many. I've caught, I think, uh, what, 11 or Jim Angio was – they ever put a wing in Cooperstown for production people, you know, producers and directors. Jim Angio will certainly be one of the first to go into it. And uh, he and I, he was he was there for every game that I ever that I ever called for the White Sox, with the exception of the time when he had to take off. He was a little sick or whatever. But uh, I think we we did eleven or twelve no hitters, wow. two perfect games, wow. uh, and then of course calling uh, Jim Tommy's five hundred homer. Jim Tomey is right in that category of the Mark Burleys, the Catfish Hunters, the Frank Howards, is being just a wonderful, wonderful person. 
besides hitting 612 home runs in his career. And I remember when Jimmy was trying to get to 05, I mean, he was trying to get to 500 home runs. We're in the back of the plane coming back. And uh, so he comes walking up, and I said, sit down. So he sits down beside me, and, and we start talking. And I said, Jimmy, I said, you know, you, you've got to get another thought process right now. And you can't let getting to 500 interfere with your performance. And it looked like, you know, he was just trying too hard, too hard, too hard. So I said, if I were you, I would think about trying to get to 600. He said, what? I said, if I were you, I would be thinking about trying to get past 500 and go ahead and try to get to 600. And he did. He got 612. And and for him to go into the Hall of Fame was just, everybody in the White Sox organization was just thrilled. And as I said, he's one of the greatest guys. And one of the strongest guys, like, you know, Jim Rice and with the Red Sox and, of course, Frank Howard and Mantle and all those guys who are absolute beasts strength-wise. And when you get people like that who succeed, those are the guys that you really – those are the moments you really cherish. And that's why baseball, to me, is the greatest game going because of the fact it's a generational game. And you have grandfathers who can tell the grandkids about the Jim Comey's the Mickey Mantles, the Jim Lysons of Boston, and, and all these great players that we had. And you can convey that to them so that they get a history of the game. And that's why baseball has more history than football and basketball put together. Well, Hawk, in our house, we get to remember He Gone. He Gone! One to go! Can of Corn, which is my favorite. Mercy. Mercy! And I'm sure Jason's favorite is... And put it on the board, yes! You brought baseball alive in our house. And so for us, we want to thank you. Thank you for being thank a you. role model to Jason. And thank you for taking thank the you. time to join us. My pleasure. Anytime. Hey, good luck in your podcast. And Jason, good luck to you, buddy. Thank you so much. All right, that was pretty cool. What would you think? That was unbelievable. Um, you know, obviously, you sit in front of the TV and you listen to Hawk and... You kind of idolize him, but to be able to talk to him in person and have it like so loose, so casual, and so down to earth was—I mean, that was that was incredible. Was anything that he said did anything surprise you? Um, I think that it, if something did surprise me, it was how emotional he was about Mark Burley's perfect game, because you you know, like the TV guys are obviously close with the players, but to have for him to have that much of an emotional connection with Burley to the point of tears and fe- just feeling so good for him after the perfect game, that was pretty eye-opening to me. And how about his love of baseball where he, he got really emotional there? Oh, yeah. The history of yeah. the game. And you know that's how you are, and which is really amazing to me because for this generation to love baseball, you know, someone like you, Jason, is that's pretty cool because yeah. not a lot of people your age, you know, the, what is it about the game of baseball? Honestly, I can't pinpoint it on one thing. It's it's just the overall, it's a feel of the game. It's picking the game up at an early age, the tradition behind it. Some of the best days of my childhood were from the White Sox winning, and some of the worst times of my childhood were from the White Sox losing. So I think it's just like the deep bond that you can have with the team. Um, and you can have it with other sports too, baseball for me, because that was the first sport that I watched. And I think baseball more so for people because it's easier to make a personal connection. It's not like the NBA or the NFL like where the players are portrayed in a certain way. The MLB, it's a lot easier 
um, for players to kind of express themselves and for it's more of a fan friendly game, so to speak. Okay, so it's interesting that you said the NBA because back in 1993, the NBA was all the talk about a Nike commercial that Charles Barkley had done. I am not a role model. I am not a role model. I'm not paid to be a role model. I'm paid to wreak havoc on the basketball court. Parents should be role models. Just because I dunk a basketball doesn't mean I should raise your kids. And that caused so much controversy because this was this was before you were born, Jason. Yeah. This was the Michael Jordan era. This was when everybody grew up wanting to be like Mike. Oh, that's kind of bad to bring up that song these days. Anyways, um, everyone had Michael Jordan gym shoes. Everybody wanted to be like Mike. They were in the backyard pretending to be like Mike. Everyone wanted to be like Mike. And then they do this commercial, I am not a role model. So do you look at athletes as role models now? What are we talking about uh, 25 years later? Longer than that. Are athletes role models? Yeah, I think it's even more so now, actually, because of social media. It's so easy for kids to follow their favorite athletes, and you it, it's hard to miss things that athletes do because somebody has a big dunk, somebody hits a buzzer beater, and you see it on Twitter 20 seconds later. So you see everything, the good and the bad that athletes do, and even my age, my friends, we all have role models in basketball and in football and baseball, even if we don't play competitively. I mean, even yesterday I was playing basketball with my friends and I, I was chucking up like long three-pointers trying to be like Trey Young and everyone's like, oh, what are you doing? And I'm like, it's, that's just one of my role models. Like you watch these guys and you kind of fall in love with their playing style and you get so into it and you're so passionate about it. You can't help but mimic them and look up to them. So when I was your age, I was playing basketball for Resurrection High School and my basketball role models, you're going to laugh at this because you probably don't even know who they are, uh, was Randy Ramsey, who was a point guard with the DePaul Blue Demons, and John Mengelt, who was a shooting guard with the Chicago Bulls. So this was back in um, when I was growing up in the late 70s. And I would watch their games and take notes. I don't even know if we had VCRs then. But I would take notes and write down as much as I could about wow. how they set up the plays and, and the way they would look off um, a defender, um, a no-look pass the other way. And, and I took all these notes, and they were my role models. But now, Jason, we have social media. So the guys that you had posters of, Growing up, who, who did you still? What posters did you have in your room? Um, I mean, I I know just off the top of my head, one of them was Andy Dalton. Okay, um, because I grew up a TCU fan. Not as much his playing style. Just kind of TCU represents a school. I had a Todd Frazier poster. S- spent about a year and a half with the White Sox, and that was probably like the peak of my White Sox fandom. I was in eighth grade, really into all the players. Todd Frazier, just one in particular, the way he carried himself how good he was to everyone on the field, how classy he was. And then the last one was Carmelo Anthony. I think I liked Carmelo Anthony because not a lot of people liked him. Um, I, I liked the way that he played, how confident he was, how he carried himself as well. That's kind of a big thing for me, the way that athletes carry themselves. I like to pick up on that, and I like to use that when putting that into and in, taking that into account on if I should look up to them or not. Yeah, it's funny. So, so the posters in a 
kid's room. I mean, I'm not going to get into the Farrah Fawcett posters, and you don't even know what that means, but that was a big deal uh, when Farrah Fawcett posters were on. Every every boy growing up had a poster of her. But this is how it's changed. So now there's not a lot of posters up on the bedroom wall because you guys just look everything up. You have everything on your phones. So does it matter to you knowing the personal lives uh, or what these guys do off the court? Does it matter? Because when I was growing up, I didn't know anything about a professional athlete's personal life. Artist Gilmore played for the Bulls. I I couldn't tell you anything about his personal life. Uh, Now we know everything about these guys. So does that change how you look at them as a role model? I think the older you get, the more it matters. I don't think that a middle schooler is really going to care, like if DeMarcus Cousins gets ejected for a flagrant foul. I don't think that it's. I don't think that's really going to matter as much. But the older you get, the more I guess interest you'll take into what's going on um, in an athlete's personal life, off the court, off the field. Um, but growing up, it didn't matter to me. Right now, as I'm, I, I'm not really playing any sports competitively right now. So there's. It, it, my role models in professional sports are, are limited, but in anything in music and pop culture, um, actors, if something big happens, whether it be good or bad, um, outside of their profession, then of course it's definitely going to have a big impact on the way that I, as well as millions of other people view them. I remember when you first started listening to Chance the Rapper, and I was, uh, I remember I was in the office over at NBC in Chicago, and I actually had to look up his music so I could listen to it. And you said, oh, Mom, you you called up some of his old stuff. It's not like that anymore. And I just remember thinking, oh, my gosh, what are you listening to? And now I listen and watch him, and I think, wow, what a great role model he is. I mean, he really is. Um, Just a great. (laughs) Do you remember when I first? I do do remember that. (laughs) I remember I came upstairs, and you had, like, Apple Music out or something. You were looking up all these rapper names, and I'm like, I was, like, praying to God. I'm like, please do not listen to some of these songs. And I really really hope that you don't try to do that again, (laughs) because as my music taste has progressed, um, I fear that some of the lyrics have gotten a little bit a little more edgy. Oh, um, gosh. So, <laughs> oh, yeah, please. I do remember that, though. I do remember that. All right. And so this brings me to the end of the show. And you know, we'd like to talk about sports you know, today, tomorrow, yesterday. You know, yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And sometimes it's not sports. Sometimes it's going to be about things that happen at home. Sometimes okay. it's going to be pop culture. Sometimes it's going to be sure. music, whatever it is. And so let's talk about tomorrow. We wrap up the show with predictions. So, Jason, tell me two things. We're going to do three things that are going. We should all look out for tomorrow. Tomorrow being any time in the future. Okay. So, tell me something we cool. should look out for. So, coming up, my absolute favorite time of the year, March Madness. Um, just love the NCAA tournament. So, one thing that I would look for. I think it's going to be a crazy year at the upsets. It always seems to be, but this year even more so. Team that I really like is Wofford. Um, Actually, some people in my homeroom yesterday were asking me, oh, who do you like for the Final Four? Who do you, who's one sleeper pick? And I absolutely hate giving away hints. I absolutely hate it. Yeah. Um, but I said, I'll, I'll give you this. Look out for Wofford. And everyone's like, oh, Wofford? What, what are you talking about? I'm like, just trust me. Trust me. Why? Small school. I mean, they're ranked in the top 25 now, but they have their superstar in Fletcher McGee. They have good supporting players. 
They're ve- they they went unbeaten in conference play, one All of right. just two teams in the country. Um, and they, they have everything that you'd want in a tournament team. High shooting, good defense, star power, potential upset potential. Um, okay. I, I really like Wofford. All yeah. right, give me another <laughs> – Give me another prediction. One second. Just oh. keep your paper on the ground as you move it. It makes a lot of noise on the mics. Okay. Start that again. Three, yep. Two. Second prediction, Jason. Give me something else we should be looking out for. Well, I guess my second favorite time of the year is coming up as well. MLB opening day. Oh, I thought it was going to be Mother's Day. No. Uh, and White Sox season is obviously – there's always a lot of anticipation. This year – I'm really upset that it feels like the excitement is hindered because of what didn't happen this offseason. Okay. But what I'm going to predict, as we're predicting things for the future, is very shortly nobody's going to miss Manny Machado. Nobody's going to miss Bryce Harper. Everybody always says, you know, would the entire free agency thing matter in a month? If you're in the middle of July and the White Sox win on like a walk-off homer, is everyone really going to be like, oh, what if Matt? No. I think that fairly quickly – we're going to move on from the offseason if we haven't done so already. I know I moved on once both of those guys signed. Um, of course, a lot of people haven't moved on. But I think very shortly into the season, the White Sox play is going to um, make the make the fans focus more on what's on the field, not that what not what isn't on the field. And I think that the White Sox are going to be a pleasant surprise at times. They're going to be exciting to watch. And I really do not think that the gaping hole left by who they didn't sign is going to remain for much longer. And that's one of the greatest things in sports is that it never comes out as all the preseason prognosticators predict. That's the beauty of sports is the uh, you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what's going to happen from one game to the other, right? All right, so I'll give you my last prediction, okay? And this does not have to do with sports. Uh, I look for you not to last very long on your Lenten promise of giving <laughs> something up. <laughs> I asked you, what are you giving up for Lent? So, yes, we, we, we are Catholic. We give things up for Lent, or at least we say we will, but rarely does it ever last all 40 days, right? So, so um, I asked you, what are you going to give up for Lent? And you said, well, I was going to give up tropical soda, but, but then what happened? Well, actually, I've kind of stuck true to my Lenten promise. Wait, I but said, you were going to give wait, up wait, tropical wait. soda. No, 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 no. I was going to give up soda in general, but then I learned a couple of days ago from one of my friends that apparently Sunday does not apply. So I told you that on Sunday I'm going to drive up to McDonald's and get a large tropical Sprite. Okay, that it does apply. I don't know who told you that. Um, you said that you were at school and you were taking a sip of Tropical Sprite and you're like, oh, this is too good. I can't give this up. Last year, you tried to give up swearing. What happened? So I tried to give up swearing and then I was getting ready for school on Ash Wednesday, actually, and you asked me what I was going to give up and I think I swore in my response. Yeah, and that's the first day of Lent. Oh, yeah, no, it was like the first like hour or two of Lent. Yes. Like, it, it didn't last long at all, so I all think right, I'm going to so, do a little better this year. So what did you end up giving up the – you did give up soda? Yeah, and I've been doing good. I think, what, we're four days in, and <laughs> I've kind of turned more to lemonade and like apple juice and orange juice, and I do miss Sprite a lot. I miss you, Sprite. <laughs> 
Oh, my gosh. And I'm trying to give up added sugar, so we'll see. But that's my prediction is that that's not going to last very long. All right. In closing, Jason and I don't always get along. We don't always see eye to eye, but we do both love sports. And that is why we have come together for this this podcast. Yes, he's a typical teenager. I'm a typical mom. So I leave you with this thought. Jason and I got into a pretty heated argument recently, and we were not getting along very well. And uh, the next day, we texted each other, and I said, listen, can you at least respect me? And do you remember what your response was? I'm working on it. And so it goes. Our thanks to Electroflex, a global leader in electrical conduit for over 60 years, makers of Liquitite Flexible Conduit, electrically connecting our world. Adam Yaffe, thank you so much for your amazing support, your expertise in driving this podcast. Siafa Lewis for his creativity. His mind helped us get this started. And to you for listening. Don't forget to follow the sportscaster and her son on Twitter and Facebook, because while Jason, your generation doesn't use Facebook mine does and on instagram because my generation does not use instagram and yours does subscribe to our podcast the sportscaster and her son check out my stories on nbcchicago.com jason's on busting brackets and the windy city and we will see you next time Hit him straight, Hawk. Thank you. Now I'm short and crooked. I used to be long and straight. Now I'm short and crooked. (laughs) All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.